Cheers. I'm Kana. I'm Ambi. And um, welcome to diplomacygames.com, a podcast about all things diplomacy. Diplomacy, drinking, and other random, and other random crap events. Yep. Yeah. Um, hey, look, I'm look, I'm sitting here and I'm blown away at this piece of high tech gadgetry that's kind of sitting in front of us right now. The technology has moved a long way since we started the podcast five years ago. It absolutely has. Um, so, what am I looking at, Andy? Well, so for listeners, for starters, for listeners who've gone, wait a sec, what happened to the podcast? It hasn't come out for ages. <laughs> and if they don't listen, if they don't kind of follow our Twitter feed, or you know, happen to just not coincide with time, the recorder that we've been using since we started, you know, five plus years ago is dead as a doornail. We, we, once, we once thought it was dead as a doornail and miraculously came back to life. This is now truly dead as a doornail. Dead, dead, dead. You know, taking out new ba- uh, batteries, put in new batteries, no difference. Taking out new batteries, put in another load of new batteries, no difference. Going through, kind of try to clean the little, the, um, the terminals inside where the batteries go, no difference. Right. Dead. Dead. Probably so, too much of you thumping the table over the years. Yeah, quite too many years. The trauma. It. So, yeah. so it is totally dead, and we've had to. Um, I hate to say this, Kana, we've had to dip into our drinking fund. Uh, but it's for a good cause. Well, it is. It's just. It's either if we didn't do that, then the podcast didn't kind of continue. It just. And, and there goes the excuse to um, get together, drink, and talk about diplomacy. That's right. I couldn't have that. So, um, yeah. So let this me, is. Let me just say thank you to our Patreons. Then. Like sitting in front of us is this. Um, well, it, it's, it's it's got a digital display. Yeah. So it's a it's a Zoom H6. Um, it's it'll be actually really really good for you know any any other similar remote recordings that we do. Like if we have a face to face game, like. You know how when we were down in Melbourne and we had sat around a big massive table? I think that will do a good job there. Yep. And even like if we get more high tech, theoretically we can put multiple microphones into this if we actually want to be mic'd up. So okay. not only does it do like if you have like a proper mic, you know, like something sitting in front of you, yep. but you can also use like a lav mic, which is kind of like the mic little ones you put on your lapel. Oh, right. So yeah, you yeah, pretend yeah, to be yeah. a newsreader, like you pretend you're on, you know, okay. DBN. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but at the moment we're just using the basic kit which is not too dissimilar to the way the old one worked where we've got these little mics that are set at the top of the, the device so we definitely have to get one of those remote lapel pins recorders for um, the world championship when that finally runs yeah it? yeah like, do interviews at, at the diplomacy world diplomacy championships. Well, either that, or we just kind of just them, just shove it in their face. Oh, know? well, that would equally work. I don't know. We have to work it out. It's it's a bit bigger than the last thing, but it's, at least it's not like a big massive soundboard or anything like that, which would make going to bars difficult. Yes, which is part of the drink, that part of the thing. So we're actually at the um, Pig and Whistle on um, in the city. In the city. So we have been to the Pig and Whistle in the valley, but this is the one that's in the city. Yes. Um, at the pier, is it? Eagle Pier. Yeah. Eagle Pier. Mm. And, um, so, um, again, Patreons, thank you very much for supporting the show. Cheers. Um, and for 
funding this and we'll just have to pay for our own drinks for a little while. But I, I did, um, if you are listening to the show um, and you'd like to help, you know, get us back into paying for drinks, you can make a one-off donation on our Patreon site, patreon.com slash diplomacygames. Um, I want to say one-off, it's technically meant to charge you every month, but I'll get the thing saying you've made this donation at that level. So once it actually clears, you know, your five bucks payment goes in to help fund the, the new recorder, I'll then cancel your membership or send you an email to let you cancel your membership. Yep. Um, and in the, in the meantime, once you do that, you get the back catalogue of like almost 40, you know, Patreon episodes that... You get the, uh, the back, the, 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 what is it, the, the back room goss. The backroom goss and the very slurry goss because it's usually what we record last. <laughs> so if you want us at our finest slash worst, <laughs> that's where you want to go. And you may, you may listen to that and go, hey, I'm, I'm happy to kind of continue. Just dial it down to like two bucks and, I'm, and I'll get it all the time. But yes, again, thank you very much, patrons. What are you drinking? Um, uh, uh, something haze, something. Uh, you're like me. I'm a something Eden, something Shiraz, Barossa, something. It's meant to be a black lager. It doesn't look too black to me. It looks more like a. That doesn't look like a black lager at all. There's no, no dark. There's no darkness to it at all. No, it's like yeah. quite. It's like a. It's almost like the colour of a Hefeweizen or something like that. It's definitely an amber-looking brew. Um, it's cloudy too, so I might actually change. I mean, it's not. It's not a bad drop, but I might change it for the next drink. This is a lovely drop. But it's very pricey. It's like twenty-two bucks a glass. Holy shit! That's right. Okay. I just swore. I think I swore before you. No, I think I have said. I think I have said fuck at least four times already. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, speaking of which, a friend of mine put me on to, and it's on. It's on. You know, it's on all the great places. You know, YouTube, TikTok. If you're into that shit. Um, you know, probably on Insta, Insta Reels. It's been for around for probably about 12 months or so, but I've never heard of it before until now. It's called Aussie Pepper Pig. Aussie Pepper Pig. So do you know Pepper Pig? Uh, yeah, sort of, yeah, not, not, not intimately. No, yeah, Jim no. kids. Um, so, <laughs> I'd like some I, re- I remember when my, my kids were that age, that particularly my daughter, that watched Pepper Pig all the time, you know? Okay. It's a, it's a, great little show it's a UK show but Aussie Pepper Pig is this Australian comedian that has kind of spliced up various you know videos of a Pepper Pig episode and made it in a contemporary format based on whatever's going on in the news at the time oh yeah and he um, he makes me sound like a um, what do you call it a um Girl that, girl that sells like cookies. What do they call them? Girl Scout. Girl Scout. It makes me sound like a Girl Scout. So I will kind of give advance warning for anyone who's kind of offended by bad language, particularly. Well, it's too late now. No, no, but particularly C words. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, don't don't listen, don't to, listen it. to it. But if you if you're kind of fine with everything we say, plus that word, Aussie Pepper Pig. Pepper is P E P P A. Um. I might jump on. I've not, I've not heard of it. Some of them, some of them are okay. Some of them are really, really good. 
So what would it make of, say, I don't know, what's in the news? Colin Powell has recently passed. Well, that probably wouldn't be in the news. It's, it's no. more... Okay, so it's, it's very much like a um, an Aussie Bogan style. Oh, it's like the AFL Grand Final, mate. Yeah, so, sort of, so like, you know, Pepper's going on about her, you know, stepdad or whatever like that is just so fucking fat and bloody going on and then... He's, you know, going off the back to, you know, chuff ciggies and, <laughs> <laughs> and things like that. And, and then there's a bushfire related and other yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of more around what's going on. Not always, but, you know, a bit strain related. You know, it's all about, you know, fax parties and, or, you know, once you kind of start lo- lo- lifting, you know, lockdowns and whatever. Gotcha, gotcha. Hey, um, we got together uh, not too long ago on last Skype last weekend last five weekend. days ago yep. um, to interview well, our second author what, what? our second author our second author our yes. second published author I should say well, actually te- all, like, technically like, third I think because we have interviewed someone before who's published books about diplomacy as well um, yeah. from the Minnesota Club yes you're right Testing my mind, yes. my memory. Um, but definitely our second um, author of fiction. Yes, definitely our second yes. fiction author. Yes, one hundred percent agree. Yeah. Um, uh, Jamie Langer. Yeah. Um, who wrote um, a book called Art of the Stab? Art of the Stab. Art of the Stab. What a wonderful title for a diplomacy. Author. Author. Yep. Um, but unlike our previous um, you know, novelist who's been on the show who's sold like thousands and thousands and thousands of, of books, um, R. Jamie is, um, this is his second book? Self-published. But, self-published. Um, probably hasn't sold quite as many as um, Harry Turtle does. But Harry only kind of gave three pages in one of his schoolian books to Diplomacy. Yes. So this is pretty much a whole book in a fictional environment around the game. But it's probably best that we kind of just throw the interview and talk about that. Well, there, yeah, let's, then let's talk about it on the other side because um, yeah, we don't just talk we don't just talk about the book. We talk about a whole heap of other things. So shall we get to it? We will indeed. Ah, Jamie Langer, thanks very much for joining us on the Diplomacy Games podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, well, it, it's. Um, I think you're our, our second published author now on the site. Um, I'm kind of assuming you've probably sold a little, sorry, maybe a little less books than Harry Turtledove, um, who obviously is a highly profic- pro- prolific author. Um, but the difference is, I think in his, I don't know how many books he's bloody written, there's probably getting close to 100 or so, there's only one book where he talks about the game Diplomacy and he only spends three pages doing so. You've done probably the exact reverse, which is publishing a book which is solely about the game Diplomacy, but unlike other um, uh, books that are out there in the um, in the Amazon and in the uh, published zeitgeist around the game, they're all non-fiction books. Yours is a, is a fiction book. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to write a novel effectively. Believe me, I'm looking at the size of the thing. It's it's definitely novel material um, based around the game. You know, um, what happened was uh, I started to get like a back, get back into diplomacy uh, playing online. 
it was one of these things where I hadn't played it uh, since, got decades ago when I was in high school. And at the time, I thought, you know, okay, I can kind of see the potential here, but it just seems so unwieldy, you know, trying to figure out, like, uh, all of the uh, orders. Um, it, it just seemed like a huge pain. It also seemed like, um, you know, the, the press didn't work as well as it could have. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of the case where, I mean, it, it uh, worked better by correspondence back in the day. And then I kind of realized, uh, I think it was just complete fluke that uh, YouTube's algorithm threw a uh, diplomacy video at me. And I thought, oh, you know, this, you know, everything that like I, uh, I had problems with with diplomacy are probably now fixed. So, you know, I started to get a little bit back into it. And then I, one thing I did is I went to Wikipedia and I kind of looked at the little section of uh, in popular culture and it's blank, which struck me as strange right i mean like it well strange on one hand in the sense that you know it's um the dramatic potentials uh for diplomacy seem to be like much greater than you know other games like chess or poker or what have you where there's been a whole lot of movies made right i mean you know queen's gambit most recently rounders for poker so i thought well okay let me you know let me be the first and you know, so I wrote it and I thought that, um, and, and the other reason why I decided to write it is that I thought, you know, it would kind of be interesting to turn uh, some of the, the non-fictional uh, skullduggery that I'd, I'd read about in diplomacy and try to create like as, as interesting of a story as I could about that. Um, and, you know, obviously I'll let uh, the two of you be a judge as, uh, and your audience be a judge as to how well it worked. But, you know, I just thought, you know, let me be the first, or at least the first at, uh, as far as Wikipedia knows. You're 100% correct. I mean, there's so many games that are out there um, which obviously have a, um, you know, as you said before, it's got a, it's got a, a very much resonates amongst the popular culture. Um, diplomacy doesn't seem to be, but it's got so much potential. Why do you think that is? You know, I think... Some of it is bad timing, right? I mean, like, you know, it, this this is a, um, a board game that came out in the 50s, um, you know, and I think one thing is uh, it's a little bit hard for uh, people who aren't um, exposed to it to kind of understand, like, what's going on. So if you have, like, a TV show or an episode of a TV show or a movie or what have you that's based around the game – people are going to spend a little bit of time like being confused. Like, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? I mean, it's porting, there's a, this bounce. I think that's part of it. And whereas, you know, chess, which is in its own way as difficult uh, to really comprehend, people are, most people are exposed to it at an early age. So like, you know, they at least have a rough understanding of what the pieces do. You know, poker is similar sort of thing. Although even now, like a, every like poker movie has to explain what Texas Hold'em is because like everyone's used to draw poker. So I think that's part of it, but you know, I, I mean, Kissinger and president Kennedy played this game and it still doesn't like kind of show up. It still doesn't show up in movies. I mean, I, I can only give a partial explanation, but I, I have to say I'm a little bit mystified by it. You know, actually, you know, I mean, obviously you're interviewing me, but I got to ask, I mean, do you guys have a, a theory about this either? 
I mean, why it hasn't shown up? I think, unlike, say, for example, if you're talking about chess or poker or whatever like that, there's a certain universality, I think, around different person types or people types or personas that I think um, is quite, as I said, it, it kind of applies to many, many different types of style of people. I think diplomacy personally is very much almost like a um, like it's a secret club you know not many people mm. really know about it or talk about it too much I mean I'll give you an example um, whilst uh, I run a podcast about the game diplomacy and spend probably way too much time of my personal time you know playing the game online it's not necessarily something that I go around talking about it's almost like a um, I won't say a dirty little secret. But it's something that you always think, how, how do you kind of best introduce this concept of a game where you go around stabbing people, um, some of whom you have some good friendships with, in, in, you know, both in real life and in an online environment? Um, and how do you introduce that concept to people who the whole thought about building trust um, becomes a bit of a, a bit of a concern because then if you let them know that hey you're the type of person that likes playing games where you go around literally you know breaking trust with players in some circumstances what does that say about your own personal character in real life I think sure. that, that, that's that's my personal view I think about why we don't talk about the game so much um, and because of that it tends to be something where you know we've got a good, a good handful, a very maybe good two handfuls worth of excellent YouTube channels. You know, we've got a couple of good podcasts out there. There's lots of blogs are out there. We tend to, I think, um, uh, speak about this amongst our own converted people, but we at the same time find it difficult, I think, to to talk to others about it. That's my personal view. I know Kana has had a different experience with sharing the game with others. What about your What about your view, Kana? Oh, look, I, I, much like yourself there, I find it fascinating to try and explain the game to outsiders or people who haven't really, you know, had much contact with it. Um, I think similar to Jamie Langer uh, there, it, that there's also that high entrance barrier to understanding the game and a lot of players maybe haven't, I, I wonder how many players who play the game now were introduced to it at a young age by their by their mother or father um, in in childhood um, or early teens. Um, how many came to it out of the blue without any kind of um, introduction as a kid? I know. Um, you know, things like poker or chess will often be introduced at a young age, checkers, but maybe not diplomacy. And I think probably the other factor is that, that you actually need to find seven people to play a game, uh, and, and the, the book touches on this, uh, and to spend, you know, a, a good commitment of time. I mean, in a, in a best-case scenario, maybe four hours, but more likely, you know, six to seven hours, um, and, and I think probably many people can't commit to that, which is probably why some of the, the virtual and online, online games have um, had a fair amount of traction because you can kind of, you know, break that time period up over, you know, many, many different days, weeks, months. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That, that's that's you, you've got our views. So, um, 
You know, I think there's probably one other aspect of it, which is that unlike uh, chess and poker, which are in the public domain, it's it's the case that uh, the original copyrights, uh, I mean, they haven't yet reached a 75-year mark. Um, so at least in the United States, uh, you know, you can't use the original game boards or anything like that in your movie without getting permission from Avalon Hill and now Hasbro. I, you know, and I wonder if, um, you know, any, any sort of movie obviously is going to maybe make diplomacy not look so fun, right? I mean, it makes it look like a little bit of, uh, it's, I mean, I, I've read at least two articles where, like, the uh, subtitle is uh, The Game That Ruins Friendships, right? So, like, maybe Hasbro is thinking, ah, oh, there's got to be some better way of, like, actually advertising this. So, like, maybe we don't let anyone make a movie about it, but... That's my other theory. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean, from that perspective, I think it's often also hard in in the popular culture sense, unless it's something like, as an example, with that that brief fleeting reference in in Harry Hurdle Dove's novel. Um, it's often hard, I think, for, for somebody unless they're passionate about the game, obviously like yourself, to to use that as the whole framework for creating a, uh, a creative piece and obviously that that's been done by yourself in in the written form as a novel um, but obviously the same concept could apply if you pick that up in theory and created it as a screenplay um, not many people I think would think about that as an option I don't know it, it this always seems to be far easier to go off and, and make some type of crazy harebrained superhero movie rather than kind of talk about you know um, you know, a day or whatever like that for seven people hanging around a table going through a whole heap of different arcs in storylines, um, some paralleling the game, some some otherwise. Um, so, so what actually drew you to to actually to to writing the book? So, what I um, I actually thought about this a little bit when I was on Facebook one day, which is that uh, you know, obviously. I don't know, like, how big Facebook is in Australian culture. You know, uh, if you're lucky, it, it isn't very popular. But, like, for people of my age, what ends up happening is uh, everyone who went to the same high school, um, you know, uh, will end up ultimately, you know, reaching out to people, uh you know, and friending them on Facebook and telling them, you know, what their families and so on are doing right now. And so, you know, in the course of doing this, I kind of realized, you know, well, there's a few people that uh, I was not friended to and uh, will probably never be friended to. And it's um, probably because uh, the friendships broke up over what in retrospect seemed like the slightest of things. Um, and I kind of thought about that uh, and how, you know, it's, it's, it's a case that, like, you know, when you're younger, there are these relationships, you know, whether they're friendships or, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or what have you, that can suddenly split apart for what seems like the most trivial of reasons. And I thought, well, okay, you know, I was thinking about diplomacy already. There's got to be some way of combining those two. And so then I thought, okay, well, you know, what if it was uh, seven high school kids or, you know, kids just out of high school? Uh, for your Australian listeners, uh, that's uh, just before you go off into your undergraduate years. Don't worry about it. Like about 80, uh, 80, 80 to 90% of audience are American, so don't worry. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Yes. And, you know, I thought, okay, well, there's got to be something there, right? Um, and, you know, I thought also, one of the other reasons why I decided to, to write this is that I wanted to do, I guess, the opposite of what's known as a cozy mystery. Um, there's, there's this entire genre of books um, where, you know, it's a murder mystery or, you know, there's some uh, big heist that's been carried off. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, these mysteries don't dwell in the darkness there, right? And, you know, there's obviously like, instead, you know, there's some like uh, armchair detective or what have you at a chili cook-off who figures out like, you know, who poisons uh, so-and-so. And I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to do just the opposite of that, where the stakes are as low as possible, um, but things get as dark as possible. Right. And, you know, kind of like, um, uh, you know, my guides there being like the, the movies of Neil LeBute before he kind of uh, went soft or like, you know, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? And I, again, you know, kind of combining all those threads together, I thought, OK, well, um, I'm going to like uh, write a novel about diplomacy. And so, you know, I had to sit down uh, on I, I actually like a created a sandbox on one of the sites. On, I think it was actually Backstabber, you know, kind of put put together a game and kind of figured out like uh, where I could get the maximum uh, drama out of a stab. And that was the fundamental plot. Um, at least that's the through line of the game. And, you know, uh, for those of you who've read the book, or actually for those of you who haven't read the book, uh, there's also... It, it takes the form of an oral history, right? You've got seven people, seven players of the game, and they're talking about the game, but they're also talking about their interactions with each other uh, and, you know, with their families and what have you during their high school years. And, you know, I kind of put it all together, like, you know, after my first draft, I ended up making, like, a couple changes. Actually, in the course of writing it, I, I uh, changed the plot a little bit uh, such that... Uh, you know, I added an additional betrayal in there. And, you know, uh, the end result is uh, as you see it. Um, I don't know. Actually, I should ask, have you guys had a chance to read the book yet? Or are you still working on it? I don't want to uh, ruin anything if you have. Or you haven't. Uh, I haven't, Kana. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm about halfway through, um, and I have okay. to... Apologise, I've, I've just been really busy. Um, I did get it from the Amazon store, so I've been plucking, plodding through it on my on my Kindle when I get a bit of spare time. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. This definitely wasn't uh, this definitely wasn't me like uh, you know wagging my finger at the two of you for not having read it. I, I hugely <laughs> I appreciate the fact you bought. I'm not a, I'm not a very prolific reader at the best of times. So. <laughs> sure, it's I, I guess like um. So, you know, I'll be very careful not to give anything away. Obviously, I shouldn't give anything away for the people who haven't read the book. But, you know, it's I think it's actually one of these things where if you haven't played diplomacy, you might be able to figure out. And, Kano, I think like you might already um, be suspecting like what the ultimate denouement is going to be. But I, I suspect that someone who hasn't played uh, diplomacy at all won't be at a disadvantage in trying to in actually figuring out how the thing ends um but you know again that's like a hopefully a tantalizing clue for uh for those of you that haven't read it yet or are in the process of reading it like kano is so um 
Uh, uh, Jamie Langer, uh, out of interest, how long did it take you to um, write the book and what's your sort of process for writing for our, our listeners who are writers out there? Uh, let's see. The writing itself, <clears throat> because uh, uh, I had to like put in diagrams and the like in there, I think uh, all in all it took about a year. And the process, um, such as it was, was that um, because I had an idea roughly as to how the game would go and uh, which characters would be which countries, I spent, uh, you know, maybe a couple of months actually like working through it in Backstabber, trying to figure out, um, okay, well, how can I get this to happen and this to happen? And, you know, I had to like kind of put in a couple of like misclicks and misorders in there just to kind of get things to, you know, to, to puppet master things the way I wanted them to, uh, to end up. Um, my process, uh, this one, I didn't have to do like, uh, do a lot of research uh, or anything like that. Uh, I think like the, the most research I actually did on this was to, uh, one, I had to kind of uh, figure out where that Jeremy Bentham quote that comes at the beginning, uh, uh, what the actual wording is of that. Uh, there's a quote from uh, the theory of legislation that uh, opens up the book. And yes, it's a little bit pretentious, but, you know, I, uh, it actually makes sense. Trust me. Um, and I guess like, you know, the other thing that was a little bit tricky was to try to throw in a little bit of slang terminology that uh high school kids in roughly the year like 2019, 2018 would use. And obviously uh, that part of it, I think is going to read like a little bit, it's a little bit cringeworthy. I think, I think that uh, anyone, any uh, kid who's actually that age is going to be like, uh, oh, here's an old guy who's actually trying to sound young or trying to pretend he knows what it's like to sound young. But, you know, I threw it in anyway for a little bit of verisimilitude. My process um, other than that was to, I guess, uh, actually, I use Excel, uh, Microsoft Excel a lot um, just to kind of keep all the disparate sp uh, strands together. I actually had one tab, which is, okay, well, here's the figure, uh, the figures that are going to appear. Uh, this is going to be the full game map. This is going to be a close-up of one section of the map. That's one part of it. The other thing was uh, I had these ideas as to little uh, vignettes uh, that various characters um, in the in the novel would talk about at various points. Um, one character talks about uh, some of his family issues and his father who died in a car accident. Um, another character talks about, you know, what she's studying at college and, and the like. Um, so I kind of had these ideas that, okay, well, I, 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 here's something I want this character to discuss. Here's another thing and so on and so forth. So I use that to kind of keep things, as organized as possible. I've actually um, since learned that like uh, Microsoft Excel is uh, one of the ways that mystery authors will keep their timelines straight, of all things. Uh, so, you know, I, I independently invented the wheel there. Um, but in terms of the writing, um, that was a little bit, um, I kind of had to go back at, uh, at a very early point and start over again. And the reason why is that I, um, with seven characters, you kind of want to make sure that their voices are as distinct as you, po you can possibly get them. 
and I think I succeed to some extent, uh, but not, but you know, far from perfectly. What I ended up doing was to have like to have four of these characters speak more than the other three. Is one part of it. Um, I had one character that uh, you know speaks kind of very formally. Another one that uh, uses kind of the present tense to discuss all the actions that happened in the past. Um, one person, uh, one of the characters uh, is tends to use a little bit more more slang terms uh, and uh, sentences and question marks, stuff like that. You know, as if um, you know what I mean. That sort of thing, right? And one who is kind of the self-appointed detective of the group, who is a little bit of the everyman and the reader surrogate. So keeping those voices straight, um, I think, was a big part of the process. Kind of uh, trying to keep track of the language, trying to um, make sure that that was consistent throughout. In terms of the other parts of it, um, uh, parts of the process, uh, Microsoft Word, um, I think that like because uh, formatting uh, of some of the sections of the book uh, actually becomes fairly crucial in order to uh, improve readability, um, I actually created it in Microsoft Word in pretty much the final format that you see on the page uh, or on the printed page. I think that uh, the ebook is has to be a little bit different. Um, I know that uh, other authors will simply uh, write everything down in manuscript because they know that they're going to have a professional uh, properly format and typeset it, right? Uh, but I find it easier to actually kind of do it in such a way that if I actually printed it out on my printer, you know, cut the pages into, put them together and staple them, it would actually look like a book. It becomes a little bit easier to write that way. Um, when you can kind of like literally page through what you've done and kind of think, okay, this is actually looking like a book. Um, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. It does make sense. Whenever I'm reading papers, I, I always print them out because reading things from a, from a computer screen, I, I, I find quite difficult. makes perfect sense. And you've got that um, haptic interaction with your story there as well by the sounds of it. Um, hey, I, I was one, one of the things that, I do when I'm playing the game of diplomacy um, is because it's essentially it's an alternative history, right? Um, mm-hmm. that, that that sort of gets co-created as the game goes on is to kind of make a narrative inside the game itself of what I'm doing as a, as a leader of this country against these other leaders of the country. And, you know, there's that whole, um, you know, pseudo play going on in my head um, around like a, this alternative history as the game progresses. And I know I definitely for myself have some favorite countries where that, that in a, in a game is definitely easier for me and more enjoyable than other countries. Um, do you have a favorite country um, or, or do, you, do you experience a similar thing when you're playing the game of diplomacy? Uh, let's see. I mean, as far as favorite countries go, I think that like uh, England is my favorite um, in the sense that it's uh, 
because uh, you've got the physical separation going on at the beginning, you can uh, you have a little bit more time uh, to that you know plan things. I mean, obviously, like you know, uh, you're up against uh, France and uh, Germany, who are like reasonably good powers, and uh, it is possible, you know, if um, if if there's concerted effort against you to like uh, not pick up uh, too many other dots, right? But on the other hand it feels a little bit safer at the very beginning of the game. Um, so, which is kind of like a, a, you can kind of tell that like, you know, I'm not that skilled of a diplomacy player that I say that, uh, you know, and uh, um, Italy, although like, I think uh, one thing that uh, tournament play has shown me is that uh, Italy's uh, reputation for uh, being not the best, uh, the worst of the seven powers is actually, kind of a, a little bit of a canard, right? I mean, it's actually, uh, you're, I actually see like quite a few Italy's uh, do quite well. Um, Turkey is the worst, I think. I, I don't think there's any getting around that. Um, and Austria is probably the second worst. It's, um, you know, there's only, uh, it's pretty well landlocked. It's up against like um, some fairly good powers. I think that like uh, those two countries or, or those two powers really need to figure out some way of like uh, not getting knocked out fairly early is, is my take on it. Um, you know, Russia, I think has, uh, has a little bit of difficulty, um, a little bit of difficulty in like kind of managing like, you know, this wide flung area. Um, we, you know, the two unconnected, uh, um, fleets. I don't know. I mean, in terms of like, uh, thinking about the alternate history of it, um, that is something that I haven't, uh, I have to confess that, like, you know, uh, my understanding of, you know, uh, early 20th century great power um, politics is kind of weak. There's a couple of references to that uh, in the book, right? I think that um, one character uh, turns out to strangely become, uh, uh, be revealed as a mystery buff. Uh, I'm sorry, as a history buff, um, as a result of his uh, grandfather who actually fought in the Vietnam War. So there's like a little bit of a discussion of uh, France and uh, its martial history there. And, you know, there's a couple of references to, you know, Clausewitz, uh, Talleyrand, um, and uh, I think uh, Emperor Wilhelm II. Uh, but primarily, um, so I, I guess like one thing that like a, you know, a novel about diplomacy, uh, you might think that not, um, you can write a novel about diplomacy and kind of treat the interactions between the characters as being a metaphor for, um, you know, actual like uh, power politics, you know, either in the present day or in the past. Um, I kind of did the other way around where, um, you know, uh, these sorts of war, uh, you know, um, and these fights between great powers uh, more or less is, you know, kind of meant uh, to, oh God, has, what's the best way of putting this? Um, the interactions between people and kind of uh, the betrayals between these people and like, you know, these, uh, these various um, alliances that splinter apart is kind of uh, meant to be... Um, a way of talking about like the ways that like actual 
you know, people interact, right? Uh, sorry, that was an unnecessarily confusing way of putting it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like, um, you know, I, I guess I'll ask you guys, I mean, like, is this a big thing around with diplomacy players? I mean, obviously you'll see like, a, um, you know, newspapers and what have you, where um, it is kind of written from the uh, perspective of, uh, you know, the various powers. And uh, there's a little bit of um, a little bit of an attempt to kind of like get into the the history uh, um, as it would have been around that time, but I have to say that like um, it's you're a little bit limited in the sense that um, you know the real world uh, politics of of that time kind of are going to be the way they were. You know, you've got like a you know Germany and Austria. Um, uh, you know, lining up against, you know, France and England and, you know, the various other powers being arrayed as they are. And, you know, it's like kind of with the exception of like uh, Germany having to kind of make sure that like uh, they've got the lines short up on one on one side of them before they can take on the other side. I'm not too sure that the power politics um, really comes into play too much in actual diplomacy play. But that could just be like, you know, my lack of imagination there. So, I mean, I, I think from from my perspective, um, first off, I, I would probably say I'm a self-confessed history nerd. Um, mm. So that type of um, way of playing, if I can kind of call it that, like getting into a character I think is actually quite fun. That being said... You know, if you try that, if you try that tactic, particularly within like a um, uh, an online press game, you're likely to find maybe only about know, one other player on the board might actually um, get the get the gist of where you're coming from. And you know, so if you start you know writing to the Kaiser and he'll start replying back to you know, um, you know the um, the whatever the fuck what happens to be the Archduke or whatever, um, <laughs> and you know some of that stuff. Does work, and that actually can be a bit of fun sometimes with with solidifying alliances. But I think it it doesn't generally work that way. the 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 rare exception is, and I've definitely played this game and these games. I think Kana may have as well. Is where because uh, we both play a um, number of different places in the online environment, but probably hang out at um, V Diplomacy the most, which is more variant based gaming. And that variant uh. gaming can be not only just different maps and different rule sets, but often um, different uh, self-created rules within that community of players on a board. So let's just say someone says, hey, look, I've got an idea. I want to recreate World War One. So the idea being everyone, whoever you draw, we're following those those solid alliances and it's going to be all the way down to the end, you know what I mean? And, and you know, we'll see what happens. But then you'll get other players who will just say, look, you know, I'm interested in playing this and I've played this a number of times, um, where you draw that particular country and you play the most stereotypical, you know, German that you can imagine or, a, mm-hmm. you know, a Brit or something like that. or And, and you just take it to the extreme um, as part of your character development just for a bit of fun, just to make the game entertaining in a totally different way. It's not just about the board dynamics. It's just kind of having a, having fun. So um, yeah, you, you've probably asked definitely the definitely the wrong person with me, and I think Kane has been in some of those similar type of games before too. So I think it appeals to both of us. But I don't know, Kane. You want, I don't want to speak for yourself. 
Oh no, I'm I'm on board with that as well. I I do enjoy some of those ones as well. But uh, I definitely hear what um, Jamie Lang is saying as well. Like the 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 player interaction um, in and of itself, and uh, you know the, the the strategy of the board and how the interactions itself has has a definite pull factor and a definite area of interest. Without any of that other kind of stuff um, uh, thrown on board as well, yeah. Actually, I was going to ask one question, Jamie. Unless you wanted just to jump back in, were you going to ask something yourself or go off? On no, what I, said? I was just going to uh, say uh, Kino put it uh, much better and much more uh, clearly and succinctly than uh, I I did. So yes, thank you. Um, you probably know, one other thing. Probably oh, is not you know, drinking. One other thing I'll say uh, is uh, no. I just wanted to say that, like uh, you know, to the extent that like you play up that uh, you know you're you're being the stereotypical uh, Kaiser or the stereotypical Brit uh, in uh, like you know the early 1900s, it seems like uh, that would increase the potential of like actual uh, successful betrayal if everyone expects you that like you know you're kind of playing the role and then all of a sudden you you. Uh, uh, execute like the most uh, massive stab against uh, the people who were nominally your allies in World War One. So, I it seems like uh, there's some potential there. I, not that. Uh, on the other hand, like uh, that might can be considered uh, not uh, sporting. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, oh, maybe I didn't explain myself well enough. That those were two separate type of rule types. So you know, what uh, I mean, one game would be purely let's just stick to formal alliances. Nothing changes. Uh, another totally different game would be like a normal board, but you happen to, to, as I said, take things to the extreme in the way you play a particular character. Sure. Um, one thing I'm really interested to ask, Jamie, is when it came to writing the book, you've spent your, your, your time, you, you've, you know, you've written it, you've drafted it. Um, obviously, the nature of the way the book reads will appeal and make perfect sense to somebody in fact probably 99% of our audience who actually know the game diplomacy and know the mechanics and know how things work and know how people interact in the game how did you I'll say the word test um, for somebody who doesn't uh, know the game that they could pick it up and read it and comprehend what was going on you know uh, I didn't and uh at this point, uh, I have no idea if anyone who hasn't played Diplomacy uh, has actually read my book all the way through. Uh, I consciously decided, oh, you know, this is something I didn't mention. Um, my first book, I think I, I know of four people who have read my first novel, one of whom I actually paid uh, to do a developmental edit, and so... Uh, he had to in order to get his money. Um, so for this one, I actually decided, you know, I'm going to write write a book where there's kind of a built-in hobbyist base. And so at least if I can get like most of those people to read it, you know, I can break even. And, you know, maybe get some of them to buy my first book. Um, so, the, and, you know, I, I have a couple of friends who uh, I now managed to make feel really really guilty by saying like oh my god i wrote this book here you should read my book and uh definitely like uh they have not they have not read uh the diplomacy book they've not read the art of the stab um as to how uh readily they would under they'll understand it my guess is i don't know I, my guess is not not very 
I do have like a one friend who I know has read maybe about 50 pages into it. And uh, he does like some of the kind of non-game discussions. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, and this is a, this is my other dark confession that like you guys are going to be the first to hear. I kind of had it, had this uh, fantasy in my head that like, you know, oh, I'm going to write this book. The diplomacy uh, hobbyist community is going to read this. There's going to be a clamor and they're going to demand demand that a movie be made out of uh, the art of the stab and you know then like you know it, all this stuff will make a lot more sense if it's on the screen with uh, computer graphics um but you know of course like that's ridiculous you know even as i say it i know it's ridiculous um so kind of the general public i think it i have no idea how well they will understand any of this so this is for you guys and you guys alone. I'm sure the com- I'm sure the community community sorry I'm sure the community uh, <laughs> still loves it and appreciates it anyway. Um, sure. So your, your your first book was the Dream of the White Elephant. This the second book here, the Art of the Stab. Um, mm-hmm. How was it? How was it different this time around? Like for a second writing a second novel, was there any? Again, this is probably going back to one of those earlier questions about people who are out there who are interested in writing, you know, how did you approach things differently the second time around? You know, what were the lessons you learned in writing uh, a second novel compared to the first? Uh, okay. So uh, one thing is that that first novel is about 240,000 words. Um, and because uh, it's only writers that think in terms of words, in terms of page, as opposed to page count, the first novel um, is roughly 650 pages long. And, you know, it, it's a mystery. It's a mystery novel, that first novel. And so that's particularly long for that genre. There's some genres where that can stand a, a higher page count, such as uh, science fiction or fantasy. Mysteries tend to run shorter. So one thing uh, that I picked up from uh, that first novel is, okay, I need to keep things a little bit more compact. Uh, you know, don't... Uh, don't let my uh, story sprawl out of control. And this novel, even though it's, uh, it works out to be about uh, 350 odd pages um, in book format, when you take out uh, the diagrams and stuff like that, it's actually fairly compact. We're talking about 80,000 words. Um, for reference, it's roughly as long as the first Harry Potter novel was, right? So, you know, not short, but not terribly long. So I think like the, the what I picked up from the first novel is, you know, uh, keep it short, uh, try to, um, you know, try to develop other uh, multiple voices in the characters uh, so that it doesn't all run together and uh, turn into like a, an unvariegated mush. And I guess uh, the other thing I did was, you know, I, I thought I thought to myself, try to write something where uh, I won't need to worry so much about research. Um, there was a little bit of this uh, with the mystery novel, just because I wanted to make sure that uh, I wasn't making some obvious blunder when it came to law enforcement or, um, uh, you know, Los Angeles in like uh, the roughly the year two thousand four. Whereas this. 
um, I didn't need to worry as much. I obviously um, I could uh, keep I could keep my worries limited largely to making sure the diplomacy game itself makes sense. That there's nothing, there's no move that's like so egregious that a diplomacy player would uh, simply like uh, throw the book across the room. Um, and from what I've heard uh, from some diplomacy uh, players who've read it, it succeeds on that level. So I, that, I think that's uh, my big takeaway. Although like um, I'm going to be uh, kind of reverting to form for my third novel, uh, which is going to be a science fiction novel set uh, roughly about 150 years in the future, where I'm going to have to do a lot of research in um, economics, uh, you know, near space travel, things like that, uh, to make it, uh, you know, at least plausible. So uh, that's going to be more of a challenge. Um, this one, I kind of wanted to be like a, a little bit of fun, you know, a little bit of a backstabby fun uh, where, you know, things get a little bit dark, but it's, you know, uh, it kind of has a feel like a, a stage play where, you know, like, as I said, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, something like that. So, yeah, uh, that's kind of uh, what I uh, took from the first novel and uh, used uh, or uh, aimed to correct for the second novel. And um, both both both, both uh, books have been uh, they both been self published or one was self published or one through another publisher, but effectively a self publishing platform. Uh, that's that's correct. I mean, uh, the Dream of the White Elephant was uh, yes self published through essentially like a uh, a platform, so a, yep. a little bit. Yeah, and how did you how did you find that experience? Uh, it's to some extent uh, there's a little bit of like um, frustration where you're going to like want to pull out your hair, um, but ultimately, um, it's I think it'd be less painful than like actually trying to query an agent, and then if I manage to find an agent, uh, have that agent uh, send out the, my manuscript to any number of uh, publishing houses in the hope that uh, I could actually find a, a publisher who's willing to uh, traditionally publish my book. Um, I'm not sure if you two have heard of this book called Axiom's End by, uh, I think her name is Lindsay Ellis. Oh, I haven't. Yeah. So the reason I bring this up is that it's a science fiction novel um, and Lindsay Ellis is a YouTuber with, I believe, like, I think literally a million subscribers. And it, my suspicion is that uh, that was a big selling point uh, for both the agent and uh, St. Martin's Press in actually publishing the book. It's uh, it's not that I'm saying like, oh, the book is crap, and uh, that's, only what, that's the only reason why she got published. I imagine it's more like um, the book is good, but it's not enough for a book to be good anymore to be traditionally published. You have to be either very, very lucky or be able to make the case to publishers that, you know, I've got a million subscribers on my YouTube channel. I can get a bunch of these people to buy my book. I didn't have those uh, advantages. So what I did is go with self-publishing. You know, who knows, maybe like, you know, two or three novels down the line, I can convince someone to actually uh, publish my book for me, but uh, that's not going to happen for a while. 
I suppose by that point of time, if you've got that many books under under your um, your belt and you're you know selling successfully, you may not want to uh, lose a large chunk of your um, your profit margin by giving it to a publisher. But I don't know, I don't know how these things work. So. No, no, I, no, that's a good point too. I mean, I think that the at this point, I think if I, if I manage to sell like another fifty copies of the Art of the Stab, I'll uh, have broken even. Um, which actually isn't that bad. I mean, if you think about it, like, you know, you sell 100 copies and uh, you break even on, like, all the costs of, like, you know, hiring someone to uh, make the uh, cover, to do the uh, internal layout editing, uh, to um, actually uh, you pay for the copyright in the, uh, in the United States, you want to register it with the U.S. Copyright Office, things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually, like, a fairly reasonable break-even point. Um, and it, I, you know, it, it's not nothing that uh, will allow me to quit my day job. Um, I'm not a prolific enough writer and a good enough writer to, to hang uh, all my hopes onto that. But, you know, in terms of hobby, hobbies go, as far as hobbies go, uh, self-publishing, writing and self-publishing can be not can be fairly cheap. It can be uh, not terribly expensive. You can actually end up with a, a nice physical copy of a book that you can show your friends and your family and uh, make them feel guilty when they don't read it. That's a fun part. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Uh, you know, obviously, like, you have to pretend that, like, you know, oh, you know, I'm really I'm really disappointed you didn't read it. But, you know, I mean, it. there's, like, definitely a few people that I've managed to, like, majorly guilt into not uh, having re- read my book. So it's a... Uh, so you know, if you have like a little bit of a, a, a dark, uh, sadistic streak, yeah, you can uh, self-publishing. Yeah, that could be a way to go. It sounds like you're using your <laughs> diplomacy skills in real life uh, very nicely. There. <laughs> there you go. Yes. So the book is available on Amazon. I think uh, Kindle in the US is about five bucks. Paperback about fourteen bucks, from what I can see on the screen at the moment. Obviously, I don't know if that that fluctuates over time. Um, is there anywhere else that people can grab the book, Jamie? Uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, I oh, haven't right. checked the other retailers, but uh, definitely it is showing up on Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah, I uh, I have to say, um, and this isn't just me like hoping uh, that uh, people are going to give me more money by buying the uh, paperback version, but it actually does. It works a little bit better uh, in paperback format than it does in the Kindle format, um, in the sense of like uh, you know you are going to want to like perhaps flip back and like take a uh, uh, refer back to like the the game map at the beginning of a given season, um, but. I think it works reasonably well in the uh, in the Kindle format. So, I mean, if you're hesitant because you know you live in Australia or someplace like that, and you don't want to pay the uh, shipping costs um, of an actual uh, to get the actual physical novel, definitely the Kindle ebook works fairly well, um, and I can uh, heartily recommend that. I would definitely agree with that. For example, the uh, Australian version of Amazon is selling local pricing $6 on Kindle but $33 on paperback. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, sorry, you that's know, that's you, our money, which is probably like one American dollar is sorry. <laughs> yeah, one American dollar is about 70 Australian cents. So basically it's almost uh, like anyway. 
So you two will have to send me uh, you have to give me your physical addresses and I'll, uh, I'll get you physical copies in the mail oh, on me. <laughs> it's quite all right. It's quite all right. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much for the kind offer. Um, oh, Jamie, I haven't got any further questions. Kana, what about yourself? No, thank you for spending the time to talk with us, um, Jamie. Oh, my pleasure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I uh, thank you guys so much. And uh, definitely, like, uh, I'm looking forward to, like, uh, maybe stabbing you guys uh, if you guys are – you guys are on V Diplomacy, huh? That's, that's where I tend to hang out most. I think Canada does too usually. Pretty All much. Right. Sometimes web diplomacy. All right. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for you guys there. Sounds awesome. Well, that, you see that flash there with the levels? Pretty good. Cool. Very snazzy. Cool. <laughs> and we're back. And we're back. And we're just also admiring the. Um, the I might even leave technology. that. I might even leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, by the way, we, we have no fucking idea. Sorry, I will say with this, with this, uh, I'll come back to it. At the moment, it's black magic. Like it's black magic. Yeah. We've spent. No time kind of configuring this, so this may sound even worse than our normal recordings, but we will get better. Ambi literally has the instruction manuals out in front of him. Yes. To, to figure out how to turn it on for the and, summer. And when I was on the bus anyway. on the way down here, I watched a YouTube video about how to actually set the levels within the uh, within the thing. And then I brought, brought the world's worst pair of headphones to test it. <laughs> I mean, I, these are so crap. <laughs> these were, I think, like the, I don't know what these were. These were, these, oh no, 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 no! I thought, I thought these were the freebie ones that our our employer gave us when they put us, they ch- they moved us to a new building, and it became very open plan, so you could hear everybody. So they gave you really crappy headphones to try to listen to music, so you don't hear everybody talking all the time. Which removes the whole anyway. Anyway, let's get back. Place. Let's go back to the interview with our Jamie Langer. Yes. What did you think? Um. Look, I, look I, I, I kind of found it interesting on a, on a number of levels. Um, I, like, okay, jumping in towards the end, talking about his favourite countries that he's played, um, and the, you know, what I do in my mind when I think about playing in a game and I make up the whole mythical world and then. There's that, that, that that discussion really kind of interested me. Yep. Um, and also hearing about. That's because you uh, like playing as an archduke or. Yeah. Or the sultan. Yeah, Or the sultan's vizier. You know, and, and just to hear well, hear from any writers about their writing process. Yes, that was really, you know, really that, interesting. That, that insight into the creative um, mind is in, interesting wherever it comes So that was interesting. Um, you know, I. You know, that then, you know, it like we, we, we didn't hold that conversation around. Um, well, we all kind of thought there was that. Um, you know, like, like the poems doesn't have the same kind of pick up as some of the other um, other legacy games. Yeah. Um, Although I think Diplomacy is getting very close to being a legacy game now, isn't it? Well, like, well yeah, but actually I saw the other day that there's like, I think it's like even Dungeons and Dragons, someone's kind of, I don't know if it's Netflix or whoever, you know, all those different yeah. platforms, they're looking at partnering with, I think Hasbro now owns all the, Hasbro owns 
Wizards of the Coast, who owns Dungeons and Dragons, and they're looking at some type of D and D. So I can't remember if it's a movie or TV series. And oh, they've done movies before, haven't they? On Dungeons and Dragons related. So anyway, but um, you know, Diplomacy came out before Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Well, you know, it was a direct it influence influenced to um, Gary Gygax. Gary Gygax. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and to you know to talk around the book without giving too much away as to plot know, lines, plot lines, and things. Yeah, That's good because so. I haven't read much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I, um, and, oh, you know, not, who would have thought using Excel to keep your plot lines straight as a, yes, as, as an effective way to approach writing a novel? Yeah. I, I, I just never, I, I never would have even thought to use Excel in that fashion. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever tried writing a novel, Tana? I've written short stories. Okay. Yeah. Been, ever been published? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, so when we say we've had like, you know, four authors on the show, we actually have a published author who turns up every bloody episode, except when you're... Short stories, not novels. I haven't haven't written for Donkey's Ages. Okay. I'm assuming they're not not diplomacy related. No, 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 they're not. I wouldn't know where to even start, really, if I was to write a book. So anyway, thank you, uh, Jamie Langer, for jumping on and having a chat with us around um, yeah, your book. Yes. And um, we're going to put in the show notes where a link to where people can purchase the book if they're interested. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, we'll put a, we'll put a link through to um, Jeff Bezos's website so we can you know send more space capsules. Up in the air. Up into space, yeah. Yep. Um, you know, yeah. your money will go to good, good purposes there. Um, See, William Shatner went up. Was it William Shatner? He did. Yeah. He did. Yep. Probably a lot of, missed a lot of marketing opportunities there. Geriatrics in space. Actually, I reckon, I reckon there probably was a whole heap of marketing stuff done. But we just never, it never came out. You know, you'll see it in ads at the next Super Bowl or something, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, probably. So uh, thanks, uh, Jamie Langer. And, and just I kind of double-checked my, my uh, notes on the show. Yeah, um, yes, it was Eric Van Mecklen, who was previously uh, interviewed back in uh, episode yes. 61, who had written a book about playing the game Diplomacy. Yeah, so the strategy tactics. Yes, which is obviously non-fiction as opposed to fiction. Um, yeah, there we go. So as I said, I'm a bit of a slow reader, so I, I plan to get to this book when I've got some spare time. Probably, probably summer holidays. Yeah, interesting. What's your favourite country to play in the on the bog standard board? Uh, I tend to grapple with all of them. I have found myself liking different countries at different times. Yeah. So when I started playing the game, I really liked playing Turkey. Yeah, Turkey was my favourite to start with. Yep. Yep. Then I like started like playing as Russia. I had one awesome experience as Germany, and then that became my favourite country, and I was never able to replicate it ever again. <laughs> Andy's famous open to the east strategy. <laughs> one of these days, mate. One of these days. <laughs> I've never been keen on Austria. 
in Greece, I've, I've never really been hot on France. I know it. I know everyone's. It's, it's kind of everyone's stereotypical favorite country. If you went back a couple of years ago, that was that was the country to be. But I've never been kind of excited by it. Um, apart from the fact that you tend to get usually two guaranteed bills. That's always a good thing. And depending on how you manage your, you, you tend to have usually yeah. nothing going wrong with Italy. And then you're in the box seat to try to work out between Germany and England what's going to happen in that, that sphere. I'll, I'll tell you, France has never been my least favourite country to play. Put it that way. It's yeah. never been my favourite, it's never been my least favourite. Yeah. And yeah. probably in recent times, I've, I've got to enjoy playing England and Italy, but more for the reasons that other more better players than I have articulated. You know, when you're talking about your Peter McNamara's and around how they play those countries, you know, the fact that with England, you know, you've, you've automatically got a bit of, whilst you only get one supply centre usually at the start, you've got that natural defensive border. And if you actually kind of play the game smart and not fast, yeah. Don't pick too many fights. Try to keep the peace between Germany and you know and, and France. Come to some arrangement with Russia. You can kind of wait for all the other bastards to start knifing each other and then decide which way you want to kind of fall along that way. Yeah. And that's the same way other people talked about Italy, if you can keep in the game to at least the, the mid-game long enough, then your avenues of expansion because everyone else is just too busy bashing the shit out of each other yeah, you can good. start growing there so yeah. so long story short I have no idea what my favourite country <laughs> is it, it ebbs and flows <laughs> over time what about you I know I know you do not like England yeah it's, it's not my favourite it's not my favourite um, I don't like at the moment I'm not really liking Russia if I call Russia right um, I think That probably set the levels off. Do that again. That's not too bad. I think, look, at the moment, my favourite is Austria. Austria? At the moment, my favourite is Why is that? Because I know if I need to stick with the game for very for long or not early in the game. That's, that's a great point. Yep. You either crash and burn. Quick. And there's or, nothing you can do about it. Yep, yep, yep. Or turns into a really intricate knife fight and it's fun yeah. Yeah. I like that's, that's, that's kind of why Austria is my favourite I like the way you think that's yeah good cheers nice work <laughs> at the moment at the moment it is yeah. Hmm. oh well so we've got lots of other things to talk about um, yeah, on top of everything else what's, what's next on the list Hey, we had a suggestion from one of our Patreons, and I think it's a great idea, actually, to... Um, well, we've got a lot of anonymous games, which we talk about on our show. Yep. And, you know, as a, as a way forward, actually taking those conversations about those anonymous games and splicing them all together, once the game is concluded for our Patreons to listen to so they get to hear the, the entirety of our discussions about it, those games. Um, and as, we can as, then... As like a thank you. And, and, and you know, 
So at the beginning, you have to top and tail it, wouldn't you? You, you kind of, you kind of introduce new stuff at the beginning, saying, okay, we're going to talk about this game that we were both in, that was anonymous or humans or whatever. Um, so during the recording, you don't know who we're talking about, but we'll tell you from the beginning. You know, you're such and such, and I'm such and such. And then and we then throw we throw it at the splice version. Yes. Here's the maps. And then at the end, you kind of put a little bow on it and say, you know, well done, Kana. <laughs> you survived till, <laughs> you know. Um, you survived or you crashed and burned crashed. like your Austrian strategy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, I love the idea. I think that's a that's a great that's a great way of dealing with the anonymous games and actually putting it together in a you know, cohesive discussion about the, about the tactics. Yep. And it'd be good for the listeners too to hear it from, you know, start to finish just around that. No, I love it. So, so, so that recommendation came through from uh, Sigmar Bruggen. So, thank you, Sigmar. Yep. Um, there is a fair amount of work which he acknowledges would be required to do that. Um, and I just want to know, Kano, are you going to be doing that work? <laughs> uh. <coughs> Fuck off. I'll, I'll tell you what I will do. I will, I will put the maps together into a video format that you can have playing. I, I think, think you've promised that on this podcast about three or four times for other things. And apart from that one time... <laughs> no, I've done it a couple of times. All right, okay. Um, Actually, you have done it a couple of times. One was for that, that four-year game, and then another yeah. one was for another game we played. Yes. Anyway, um... I think Sigma's suggestion is a great one, yep. and um, maybe I'll do that like on my summer holidays when I'm not reading my Art of the Stab. Well, I'll give it a go. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an audio savvy. I don't know yes, how to... you are. You worked out how to make this fucking thing work. You pressed the L button and the R button, and the little red lights came on, and all, all of a sudden, the it was other, happy all the other knobs had numbers on them, so obviously it's that one. Yeah, left, right. Yep. Yep. And then you know that button's obviously the record button. Yes, yeah, it's red. That one's and a over, stop. And over here, you got a volume up and down, which you noticed when I wasn't watching. It's not rocket science. Let's hope it works. <laughs> Well, it seems to be recording. There's lots of red lights on. The audio bars are going up and down, so I think we'll be right. We'll be right. Oh, great. Yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah, so again, thank you, Sigma. So we also got another um, email that came through for the show, which is fantastic. Um, and this is a one that's come through from long-term, sorry, long-time listener and uh, email correspondent Brian McKay. Or McKay. I'm not quite sure, Brian, how we pronounce your surname. Obviously, in Queensland, we can pronounce them both two different ways. Um, Brian had, ages ago, when we were playing face-to-face in Brisbane pre-COVID, yeah. he's like, really want to play. Right. I'm a Brisbane boy, really want to play. Yeah. One small problem. What? I'm in America. Oh, <laughs> so okay, yeah, right. Yeah. He was kind of travelling around America for a while, and then he ended up kind of living in Hawaii, I think, for quite a bit. Okay. And he's now back in Australia... He's back in Brisbane, and he said, love to play a face-to-face game. Uh, he's been playing face-to-face since all the way back in 1998. Oh, great. Um, yep. And we'd love to kind of see a game happening. So I know at this time of the year, it can be a bit busy for, for people, um, particularly like some of our younger players, because like university shit's going on. But I don't know, I reckon maybe towards... I don't know, 
end November, early December-ish, maybe mid-December-ish. Maybe we start, actually, maybe mid, maybe later is better once we've kind of here in Queensland got all of our vaccinations happening yeah. and they start kind yeah. of easing the fuck yeah. up, then we can do it then because that might make some players a little bit more comfortable if they're worried about this. Yeah, it might, yeah. If, if, if the, the restrictions are being lifted and everyone's vaccinated. Well, they're estimating 17th of December will be kind of like fucking happy days. Back to licking the door handles. Mm-hmm. I'm, I door have handles. so missed door handles. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. All that right, that so metallic tang on your, on your <laughs> tongue. <laughs> Anyway, Jesse, you'd think we'd had about five beers and and wines by now, but no. So, um, (laughs) Brian, thank you very much for your uh, your email. Um, And as I think I mentioned to you back, uh, yeah, probably, I reckon, maybe mid-December. Mid-December, yeah. Yeah. We we have a funny situation here in Australia because obviously now now the rest of the world is actually vaccinated. They're fucking opening up. And for ages we've been like, hey, we can fucking do whatever we want. We just close the borders. And now they're going, okay, right. Again, Peppa Pig style. It's like, okay, you fuckers. Just kind of, Aussie Peppa Pig. You know, just get out there and fucking get vaccinated. Just get it done. Get it done. And when we get to like 80% vaccination rate, we'll start kind of, you know, easing things up a bit. And when we say easing things up, it's just like, you know, provided you're vaccinated, you just yeah. go yeah. wherever. Yeah. Um, so, cross, cross state borders. Yeah, cross state borders, that's right. And was it at 90% they meant to start looking at international? I don't know. Oh, blows me. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because I think, I think if you come from overseas, you can still come in at 80% with no hotel quarantine. No, you still need to quarantine, but there's a couple of countries where you don't oh, right. now. I think New Zealand's one of them. Okay. Yeah. yeah, well, New Zealand kind of got fucked because of Sydney. Yeah. So Sydney kind of got it, pass it around Sydney, then pass it around New Zealand and Victoria. And well, now Victoria's got it worse than bloody Sydney. Melbourne's like the most locked down capital and city in the world, isn't it? Well, it's got to be up there. Yeah? Yeah. It's I think it's, it's like either first or second to Buenos Aires or somewhere. I think they kind of got to that point like, fuck it, Melbourne Cup's coming. We're just going to open up. We've had enough. Bugger it. Whatever. Well, I think, I think that's, that's know, the way everyone is. Too much chance to get, you know, you so much chance to get vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Interesting to see what happens down there. And then we got a third email that came through. <laughs> oh yeah. To us. Yeah, about this one. Oh right, yeah. So from David E. Cohen, um, inviting us to join a Dawn of the Enlightenment game. Yes. So. So I thought I would potentially join the group. But Love another beer, yeah. Um, I'm not sure at this stage. We I'm might have to go up and have, have a look. Yeah. Um, can we pause it? We, we can pause this yeah. and come back. That yeah, works. Works. Very, very clever, Connor. Again, you, you, you know audio engineering. You are a professional. It's pressing buttons. You can now do all the fucking podcast editing. Welcome to like five hours every episode of your life. Just actually it doesn't take that long to do it it's a lot faster than that but it's all the Dawn, it's all that experience 
but they maybe, were all the keyboard maybe shortcuts there. This gets keyboard shortcuts. <laughs> that has got to be. Actually, I do know one keyboard shortcut. Oh, yeah. It's like Control One, which helps me kind of zoom in on on a time period. That's about it. I think Control Three zooms out. That's it. Surely there's other ones. Oh, there's lots of there's a fuckload <laughs> of them. I have no idea what they are, and I have no idea how they all work. Anyway, like as we're saying. Um, David E. Cummins invited us to a Dawn of the Enlightenment game. Yes, thank you very much, David. I've already signed up, unlike others. Yeah, um, I'll flick off an email saying, yeah, I'll, I'll sign up. Um, I don't know how it's going to be played, because it, it's being sent it's sent me to a random... Well, not, it's an Academy of Creative Destruction's forum page. Yeah, which I've got no fucking idea what that is. Before. No. So, this is going to be a... a, a period of discovery whether it's done by email or by discord or if there's some other system involved um, yeah. yeah so there is like a um, I think on that website once you've kind of signed up there's quite a few people who have signed up a lot of the players their handles and everything I've never heard of well, who have we got so there is and I don't know if I'm allowed to kind of talk out of school around this there is Iggy the Fool okay. Simon Lewis Nakio, Elias, AZ Dip, Stephen Kuchera, Quera, I don't know, um, AJC III, which is probably like the third, maybe. AJC the third. Joshua Brunt, uh-huh. Sip K, and Ambi. Huh. And how many more spaces are there that we needed? Uh, five more. Five more. Okay. So you two. So you've actually signed up, you said, on this thing. Did you get an email back saying, hey, it's gone to a moderator to approve? Yes. Just email David and say, David, I sent it, and you know, we've talked in the pub, and yeah. you know, we're now on tape, and you're not there. Well, you said you held me a spot. And you're kind of feeling lonely, and you want to kind of hang out with new people. But, um, so, we've had David on the show for episode 77. Yeah. Prolific, not prolific. He's, well, he's reasonably prolific bearing creator, but he's a, well, probably... He's a selective bearing creator. He yes. spends the time on his variants to get would, them right. I would say, if variant creation in diplomacy was a profession, like there was a master or a doctorate of variant creation, creation. Yep. he would be at least a course professor, yeah. if not like the dean of the whole school. Yes, no, I'd, I'd, I'd second that because he's made some oh, really good ones, stellar ones, yeah. ones that you know, being perfectly frank, put our collective efforts to shame. Yes, yes, no, it's true, it's true. Um, you know, so everything from known world to the Spice Islands to um, well, this one that's being made now. There were other ones he's done as well, wasn't it? Was it the he did, he did the Versailles variant, or was it someone else? No, I think it's was it nineteen? Can't was... mm, remember now. <laughs> so we've got our new drinks. So uh, cheers. cheers. Um, a little bit quieter clink, but it doesn't matter. Cause cause I don't. I don't want to spill. There's a more generous point. Now that is worth. That's worth the money, but it's. Closer to where they might be. Yeah, good. Oh, still um, good. 
Yeah, I'm on the side of him. Um, also, Maharaja, the, yep. uh, the Indian one. Mandate of Heaven? Uh, yeah, the one set in China. Yeah. Yeah. I think un- Unconstitutional was his other one before Dawn of the Enlightenment. But Dawn of the Enlightenment, that's the new one. That's what we're going to test play. Yes. That's like a mind-blowing map, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like well, global map. Yes, it's a global map. But with a totally new bent that we haven't seen before in a diplomacy game. With the uh, and and I think I think were you like were you consulting to him around how to approach this with the high seas? Yeah, we had we, we did have a discussion. In the end, he went with high seas. Um, we were, were you trying to around sea lanes versus high sea lanes? Yeah. And he went, well, yeah, but no. Nah. What if we make a, an ocean territory where you can just stack units in? And the chances of you interacting with anyone else in that ocean area is next to zero. You know, almost no. But it is doable. If you have enough sea territory, if you have enough sea units, if you have enough fleets, yep. yes, you could control an ocean. But chances of that occurring is you know, next, to, next to nothing. So, for listeners to understand how this would work, um, and we can kind of post it, we'll post in the show notes uh, what this is, but you've got like these ocean territories, like let's say the North Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. So, within that massive, massive, sorry, when we say North Atlantic Ocean, don't think a normal classic board of just that bit that's above MAO and next to Norwegian Sea. No, this is the entirety of the North Atlantic Ocean. Correct. Yeah. So you have these, um, what do you call them, littoral areas? Littoral? Or coastal zones? Or? Yeah, littoral is the right word. Yeah. Yeah. Areas which you can kind of have as like sea territories. But then in the middle of the ocean, there's like a, and you said before, like a stacked box. So just imagine like a, a vertical... You know when you were a little kid at school, and they used to have like these little bamboo or balsa wood cubes yeah. to teach you numbers, and sometimes there'd be like a row of them. Yes. And this is like a row of six cubes stacked on each other, yeah. where you can move into one of those cubes. Yeah. So that allows for multiple people to be in the same zone, having an element of control, but unless you like had all cubes, okay, all or six, you don't control the zone. Yeah, so each of those cubes are connected to each other. Yep. Each of those cubes are connected to each of the coastal territories which are adjacent. The littoral areas, yeah. The littoral coastal regions. Oh, so littoral, not literal. Yes, correct. Littoral, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so to, to have ownership of that ocean, you not only have to really control those all of those spaces but you have to control a significant chunk of the coastal territories as well so yeah and the chances of bumping into someone on the high seas it's there you're always yeah. going to get the chance but this you know you're reducing it to one in six well there's less, less of a less of an less of an incentive to air quotes own yeah. Something. So, like, you think about the sea lanes area, yeah. where you've got like another, for example, like the whole North Atlantic is an example. You've got like a, a, a concentration in the middle, and then you've got sub areas all around it. Yeah. I wonder if we just turn it down, does it kind of make it a little bit better? 
Turn it up. Look at that. The volume goes up when you turn it up. We're going like this, isn't it? That's really loud. We're going off the conversation now. That's all the music. You don't have to sort of control the whole area. It gives you that greater fluidity, I think, in um, naval engagement and convoy, I reckon. Yes. It, I think it's going to work well if the, the, the littoral coastal regions need to be well thought out as they relate to the actual coastal territories, like yep. the actual land territories adjacent to that's thought out like where the um, where those ocean coastal regions start and finish on what territories and who can bring units to bear the control of where those two coastal territories are joined will be quite um, that will be where the balance lies in this area I think so I'm looking forward to this um, it's it's been a while since we've played a true, I'll call it cutting edge variant, in the sense of it still hasn't been kind of finalised yet, it's still in development, yep. hasn't been released, and I think this is the type of variant that you know players will be talking about for many, many years, potentially. Yeah, it's got like, yeah, no world is one that's just was one that was people's imagination for a very long time. Yep. You know, I think um, as variants go, I think the, the current crop of um, those mega maps where by Technostar, yep. the, the North American and Europa, and the Europa, and um, yeah, no, that, that's where things are at. I think this one's got the potential to be the next one that people jump into if they see it open. Yes. Very exciting. So, um, looking forward to that. Um, what's next? So, probably, do we want to talk a little bit about our bit about our games or anything? Or um, yeah, okay. Um, bit of a around the grounds. Around the ground. I'm currently in two games. Soon to be third, three. Um, I'll just bring them up. So you brought it up now? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think this okay, is one of so your Europa is, games. This is one of my Europa games. Um, I'm still in a good position, but it's just not as exciting as it was in the earlier rounds of the game. Um, I've kind of entered. I've kind of found myself in a position where. It's almost been too much of a good thing where I've had people around me do it, allies, yep. and I just kind of locked myself into a position where I really don't have a clear avenue for expansion. Um, oh, yes, okay. Yeah, so between myself and another ally, we kind of stabbed the, the mutual third yep. between us because... Um, well, he was made sense. He was just making stupid moves, and I was like, "Well, do we really want this guy as an ally? He's making unpredictable, from my perspective, 
Seeing this as all gunboat, you couldn't actually talk to anybody. Yeah. This is what you kind of picked up. This is the vibe. kind of feels. There's a vibe to Marbo. it. Marbo. It, okay, so when you're in gunboat and you've been established, you've got an established alliance, you think it's established. Yep. And you start moving your units away from your borders. Both countries do that. And then one country decides to um, move one of their units towards you for no apparent reason. What are you meant to make? Maybe they're doing that 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 crab strategy of yours. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, but there was nothing to kind of back it up, and they moved away. It's like, oh, oh well, what the okay. hell is that? That's not very and crabby. Then, and then they did it again. It's like, no, this is just too random for me to really want to enter into long-term gunboat relationship with. Yep. So, stabbed him. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's good. But that, that's kind of where that's sitting. Um, not really too much more to say about that, except there's a couple of like really powerful. There's a there's an emergent northern power, yeah, uh, which will likely cause me trouble in the near future. Okay, cool. So that's where that one's at. So, what other games do you want to talk about of yours? Uh, look, the other one is um, a game where I'm doing not too bad, actually. Um, Find it. Oh yeah, I think I think I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so this is on a fast, fast um, sort of season turnaround. Um, I'm making some solid gains in my. Oh um, yeah. Sort of what would you say that western flank? Yeah, yeah. Um, my eastern flank has started to fall into a bit of a stalemate position. Um, however, said saying that, I've just that's recently nice. managed to that's very, very, put myself into a position. That's very fault lines. <coughs> position where it's um, I should be able to break a couple of those. Um, Start building the crab shell again. Yeah, and then. It, it, it's actually the southern direction I'm worried about, like how to position my units in a way that I can ensure that I've got expansion. So once yeah. once you kind of gobble up this player here... He's been tenacious, mate. Like, he's been... He's been a trooper. He's been a real trooper. <laughs> yes. Um, so do you kind of see maybe, what, this area or, or where? I suppose you're just going to assess the situation at the time. Yoroko Renovatio map is you've got clusters of supply centres. Yep. Right? And if you get into one of those clusters, it creates really good growth opportunities. And then there's a bit of a, a bit of a lull as you try and get your units towards the next set of clusters. You know? uh-huh. um, so there's there's a, there's a cluster of units directly, you know, to my south, which I think yep. is why I've talked about that. This the reason I'm not so concerned about my eastern thing is that it will take a while to get anywhere where I've got a bit of, you know, a bit of like real growth potential. Yeah, yeah. So I'll keep at it, but I'm going to focus elsewhere. I, th- I think, yeah, as, as you know, there may be once you get to a certain position, then there's other opportunities that might then become available. Getting it through there. Um, keep kind of, you know, the, the creating other, the fault line. <laughs> then the latest fault line in the, in the earthquake 
the other sneaky thing which I've been thinking about is if I've got a few stored units sitting there, you know, I could build here, here and here, yeah, and end up with a guaranteed five builds, <laughs> right? But um, I, I, I just don't think it's the right time for it. I'm so tempted, but I don't think it's the right time. It takes a bit of um, it takes a bit Cajones. of Cajones. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the point where I go, okay, I've got an opportunity to top the board at this stage, but I don't think I'm at that stage yet. Just by um, this is fascinating, Kane. Um, I don't want this to sound patronising at all because it's not. No, but I'm no. really chuffed for how well you're playing this game. Oh, I've lucked out with this game. I feel like I've, I've, yeah, I've had some tough opponents. Too, yeah, you have. Well, so. I can see yep. the way we've kind of talked about this game over time, and this is probably this would be a great one to use for Sigma's uh, recommendation to come back and splice it all together later on. Well, I, think, I think so. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is this is the one to look at, I think. But um, yeah, you've you've, you've played really well and I've been impressed by your combination of strategy and opportunism okay so I'm going back okay I'm going back through countries which have been eliminated and um, between myself and my ally I've been responsible for Canada's uh, counting Fuck alone. You've killed off a lot of a lot of people. At this stage, directly five, but with my ally as well is probably eight, I would say. So I mean, it's in a good spot. So yeah, wait and see. And the other thing I really love with these larger maps are the kind of patterns that you get on the board. Yeah. Right. So I mean, it's very difficult to. To, to describe visually, but when, when you're playing on the uh, like the, the, the V diplomacy platform, you get the support arrows. Yep. Sort of describing where you're supporting units too. Yep. And when when you got a whole heap of you got a chain of units supporting into other areas, yep. it gets a really interesting. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you do those support. weird convoys, <laughs> like you know from. St. P all the way through to Syria. Yeah, it becomes this like diorama of convoys. Anyway, so that's where my head's at at the moment. Still got a long way to go yet, but I've got a definite feeling that I've got a couple of players who are newer to the game. Right. So there's growth opportunity there because they haven't really put up as strong a defence as I would have kind of expected them. Two seasons ago, this player here seems to be doing pretty well. Do you think, or well, just bringing it back a couple of, or are they? Am I wrong in my um, yeah, look, assumptions? Yeah. Oh no, that that one's oh yeah okay. Look. Like really explosive early expansion. Yep. But it's come to a so bit of a grinding halt. Yeah. Oh yes, because he's 
battling with that one, it used to be over here. That's a funny country. That was all kind of just yeah, um, fucking exploded everywhere. And it's also look. I think this player here, who's is suffering from a very similar fate to to the game we were talking about earlier, where he's surrounded by players who he's allied with, but he's got no expansion opportunities. Yeah. And if he was to attack any of them, you know, then his whole position ultimately would be doomed. Yep. Oh, that's very my interesting. Take on that. Cool. Yeah, so that's where that's where old mate was before. Yeah. And now all of those ones have been taken, so he's just lost a massive jump through um, through your crab claws. <laughs> So that's where that lots it. How about you? I've been looking through your games, um, and you're in a Oh, that's because I listened to your recommendation saying, "Look, fuck, hit the wrong button." Um, your recommendation of look, if you buy into games on Vitamomacy for an open position, yeah, it doesn't affect your ranking detrimentally. Correct. So I'd just be buying into a shitload of games. <laughs> You're one of those lurkers. And look, I think... Are any of them in good positions or are you just jumping in because... Um, okay, so some have been shit positions. Okay, I've recently bought into a Europa game. Yep. In a shit position. And to be honest, I think it's going to stay a shit position and become a worse position. But it's the type of thing, like, if you don't give it a go, you don't know, do you? Yeah, yeah, you never know. Because I have also bought into other games, like in a uh, Divided States game, which was in a a middling position, but I've been able to actually grow on that and actually have got a bit of traction happening at the moment. Okay, okay. So I don't know if you want to kind of talk about that one. And then other ones I've been just totally just... Oh, okay. Well, I'll talk about a few of them. They're anonymous or not. So well, here we go. Tell, tell me about um, the, you, the last time we spoke. Like, I think the last time our listeners we spoke with our listeners um, around game two and you, there was a Spice Islands game which hadn't. Concluded. Well, that, that one wasn't. I didn't buy into that one. I, I, I joined that one from the beginning. Oh, so you? What happened there? Though? I I lost. Oh. I got eliminated. Oh. My, my okay, ranking yeah. got dinted, kind of, so that's why I haven't joined all these other fucking okay, games. Okay. Anyway, so um, at the moment, oh fuck, wrong button in preview instead of big map. Okay, so, so this is a divided states game. Yeah, so I am this player. That's not a bad position. And when I started buying, when I bought in, I only had about that much. So I've kind of positioned out. So. I managed to kind of eat into most of this player down here and destroy him. He's out of the game. Yeah. Um, that player coming up from there has been good to me. Hasn't created any problems. This one has been good most of the time, although he's moved all of a sudden randomly this unit to here and tried to take this vacant supply center last turn, which I blocked. Okay. This player up here was doing great with me and all of a sudden started moving units my way because I used to be up here, so I've had to pull back. But the thing is, with both these two, I've got adequate position to defend. Yeah. 
Um, I've also kind of started a fight with this player. Because he was like what you said before. He's like doing these funny moves. Yeah. He's like come, sometimes coming at you, then he pulls back. Yeah. Then he pulls at you again. Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't want to trust you any further. I'm just going to, yeah. So he's done well too. I, I actually managed to grab initially that supply centre. Yeah. And then I traded that for that one. And now he's taken both back. So I'm getting to a point where maybe I might start throwing, I might actually start doing support holes and throwing love just to stem the tide and just see what happens for a little bit. But where are you going to expand to is the question. Like, oh, so if I can stem the tide here, yeah, and I can stem the tide there, which I think I can, this one I think is next. Because he's got, like what you said before, there's like at least a couple of supply centers I can probably, well at least one I can reach it, no problem at all. But there's also one thing I've noticed about this map, and it's not too dissimilar to the one you showed before where you were in a good position and you were the one going around going rum, rum, rum on anybody, yeah. and the middle area starts kind of compacting down. Yeah. In this map, we've got this player here who's absolutely kicking butts oh, wow. everywhere. Nom, 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 nom. Yep. And got, I can yep. kind of see, it won't be too long until he starts going this way and just eats up these middling powers. Yes. Which would be okay because hopefully they'll throw units that way to defend and I can just start eating from the inside. So is it better to not attack him at this stage? Yeah, I think maybe just, just be patient. To hold off yeah. until the larger opponent starts attacking the middling powers to get into that position to... Yeah. yeah. I think so. So that one's going strong. Um, these don't look... No, oh, I don't think they're... The, I can't remember. I have to go double check the actual... Um, the board. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 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 so it is that one player who's just massively oh, kicking everyone in the shot ass. Out in the front. Yep. And everyone else is just still pretty low. Oh, but it's still early days, isn't it? Like, what, what season is it? Um. So the game starts, I think, in 2020, doesn't it? So it's autumn 2028. This is no name 11. Okay. And from my perspective at the moment, I'm. I'm probably in the middle of the pack. Middle of the pack. Okay, in the sense that I'm, I'm in a far better position when I, than when I bought in. Okay. There's been it's other games. That's what you want to be in. Yeah, yeah you want to want that. Yeah. I've also bought into a um, Europa Renovatio game, which. Oh yeah, tell me about that one. Um, I'll bring out the big map. I basically bought into it like it was like the very first season. A player had kind of. CD'd or whatever. Oh, that's where you want to buy them in. That, that's, that's right. That's the perfect time. So okay. I'm this player. Yeah. Ooh, I've played that country before. I think you've played that country plenty of fucking I times have, before. I, I, I think I've been lumped with that country randomly three times. Yes. Yeah. So initially I started attacking this one here and then made peace with him. I have a good ally here at the moment. 
Yes. I've got a good ally here at the moment. Um, this is my nemesis. Yes. But I've actually made some inroads into him recently. Oh, that, that must have come through. Good, my transforms worked. Excellent. Can I... Okay, so you your move? nemesis doesn't actually have anyone attacking him. No, that's the so problem. Yeah, that's the problem. Yep. Yep. But on top of that... Well, that's interesting. He didn't put any orders. He's also been a concern. Not not now, but I think strategically long term. He's missing it. And this guy said he was going to attack him and never did. And in fact, he fucked off the other way. Yeah, well, he's probably regretting that decision to do that because this guy's CD. Yeah, he would be now. He would be pretty pissed off about that, I would imagine. I know I would be. Yep. So the fact that at the moment I've got um, good relations, good relations, good relations, bad relations, he fucked off. This one was a little bit tense at the start, but I don't have anything to do with him now because of my positioning. I've got other people yeah. as a buffer around me. Yeah. So now that I've been able to transform those two fleets into um, armies... Is this anonymous, this one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. That should be able to hold me for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Speaking from experience, as someone who's played this particular mine of power as well, you're definitely after a... Uh, you're definitely after a solid patron to assist in defending that region. Yep. If you could offer um, you know, any kind of support in that space, namely assistance in defence, I think you'd be you know, you'd definitely Definitely. I find it weird though where you got this player here who seems to have like these random outposts and that one's fucking attacking him. <laughs> Yeah, what's it go there? So, why is he not being attacked by this larger power? I think because that larger power is being attacked by fucking everybody else at the time. But they've stopped attacking him now, so who knows? Like, this one didn't put in orders either. Maybe gearing up to... Oh, you know, they snuck in, so... Anyway. Well, well, well. So that's another one that I've bought into. At least that I'm not going badly. Yep. Um, I am going... to one that I've took a position and I'm doing poorly. Ah, okay. What's this one? So this is a Colonial 1885 game. It's anonymous, again. Oh, I've played this. Anonymous. Oh, no, I have. Yeah. So that's that map. Yep. I'm this player. You're doing too bad. You're doing better at my attempt at this bloody game. This well, I used to own all these other supply centres down here without any trouble and had good opportunity on that one. So I've lost about four supply centres oh, so yeah, far. Yeah, seeing some disbands going and on. And then yeah. down in Africa, I've lost a supply centre down there as well. So the problem was this player here and that player there, which are bordering me, were both fucking attacking me as well as that player there. But it doesn't matter. You just take it over an empty supply centre. It's... 
contributing to the um, continuation of games as they should be played without a um, without a hit to your reliability or your um, well if anything it may actually help my, my shitty reliability rating yeah um but what's actually happened is this player who was allied with that one hasn't put in orders now for about it's like an so it's, it's like an NMR okay so I haven't CD'd oh, he's just gone hit all orders I can't be fucked hit hold or just maybe just hasn't gone even done anything maybe just turned up went hmm maybe well, I should do this or maybe I'll send some messages and then didn't put no, in the orders didn't don't save the orders he no. like, doesn't finalise he's got he has to have gone and gone yeah no fuck it hold really I thought I thought provided I thought an NMR was when you had at least logged into the game. No, I think they fixed up that loophole. Oh. I think they have. Yeah. Why would you just, just save holes? Anyway. Well, sometimes people do that. Like, you know, okay, I don't want to lose my reliability rating. This game is going shit for me. It's not where I want it to have gone. I really don't have time to really give it much thought. I'm just going to log in. Hit hold, shut the website down. You know, yeah, okay. it happens. Yeah. So anyway, so he's NMR'd this lot. The turn before he didn't, but the turn before that he did as well. Yeah. So I've been saying to this player here, look, let's take this fucker out. He's kind of the last guy. Yeah, okay. But he said, look, hey, I am allied to this player here, and that's that's, uh, that's love, you know. And he needs him to work against other players. This is a big player here. Yes. Okay, alright. So, I don't know, maybe provided I can stay in long enough, maybe opportunities arise. Go for a survive. Good by me. Fine by me at all. Um, what other games are there? I think there's a couple of others too that related to Beat It. I don't know if I have to go into them now. There was one that was like. We'll talk about this one very quickly. Oh, there's a problem. I've got too many games, Kane. Too many games. So I bought in as that player. Yeah. Was initially only three supply centers. Managed to get myself to five. But now I've kind of been fucked over again by another player. So I'm down to four. Hey, how are you going with that juggler black? Juggler black Like, you know, whatever that one was? Sure, let's go for that one. So this is... Screaming juggler blood axe gusher. Yeah. How are you going with that? It's going alright. So I'm still in that one. Um, oh, that's good. I've been able to improve my position over here. Okay. I've lost a little bit of position over there, but I still got oh, some bits. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I've got over here now, too. So, definitely causing ca- oh, mate, this power. Yeah, what happened there? It's just collapsed. Yeah, because this other player's coming in as well. Okay. And that one's starting to collapse, too, because it used to be all the way over there. Right, so. So we are heading towards. That player and that player and this player being dead. What about what? what oh, no, so he's, okay, so what? You're going for a three-way draw, four right? Four-way draw, I reckon. Four-way? One, two, three, four. You don't Hopefully. think that once this is eliminated, he's going to... Oh, look, you never know, do you? You no, never you know. You never know, you never know. So that's going okay? Okay, all right. Four-way draw. Brilliant, but a four-way draw would be very nice. Yeah. What do people think of that variant? Like, like, 
fruit from fruit. Look, I know you. I know you diss it because you made it and it didn't end up being exactly what you wanted, and you handed it to someone else. But I quite like it. Yeah. I like the map. I like its orientation. I love the the, the trade winds. I love the Silk Road. I love the, the walls, which kind of both in, in you know the China space and also effectively for the, the Himalayas. Um, I love the rivers. I think it's got a lot of fluidity. Even to the extent I found as that player that we talked about before, with the way that the, the trade winds worked, I was really conscious of someone getting behind my line. Like, forward retreating significantly and opening up access to a whole range of supply centers. So you really have to think about the map, the rules, the players, the game mechanics that are going on. And I think that if, if you're interested in that type of different experience, that, that true variant experience in a, in a game of policy, it's, it's I quite like it. Yeah. Okay. Seems to be very so, balanced. It's in balance. It's imbalance. Don't think. Like no. Of course. Oh well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So some fuckers have died. Yeah. It's about five years. You've ended up in a power that isn't imbalanced, but I think there is imbalance. Maybe that's why I don't think it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, last last couple before we all wrap up. I think yeah. that comes with my VDIP games. Primacy. Oh yeah. So I'm in. I'm in uh, playing two games in the Primacy app at the moment. So. Um, one thing I've got to say is uh, hats off to the Primacy um, the team, the admin team, because I have logged a couple of problems with the, one of the maps I've been playing in. Yeah. One of which may have been user error. We interviewed these guys. Yes, we did. So one of the problems with user error was I was saying, why? Tell me what the map. I can't move this unit. Said, yeah, that's not your unit, it's another unit. <laughs> How drunk were you? Well, the problem was, I had an attacking, like a, an arrow coming down at the yeah. time, and the arrow, like the pointy bit of the arrow, went into like the elf or dwarf's pointy hat. Okay, okay so the yeah. pointy hat, the colours of the pointy hat tell you who the players are. <laughs> okay. But the colours of this dude's hat almost exactly the same as which is my colour uh, as the blue arrow coming into the pointy okay, hat yeah, 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 so yeah. I incorrectly assumed that actually I owned that unit and didn't uh, okay alright I did have one problem though with a retreat where a unit sorry territory wasn't connected this is the middle earth one isn't this it? is the middle earth variant that's yeah. right so um, the trouble with, with unfortunately with um the primacy games I'm finding is whilst it has that ability for people to be kept informed about notifications, so you're like, hey, you're coming to the end of the turn, you have to put in orders, blah, blah, blah. Yep. If people don't give a shit and they're not engaged, they don't love the game, quit. they'll quit. They'll delete the app. Yeah. So I found that, for example, um, uh, if we're looking at the, the Middle Earth game, there's like only three players in it and have only really been three. There was probably about four or five active players at the start, but it's dropped down to three active players. Okay. Well, so... Um, but that's going to get better over time. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm still this player here. This is where I was having problems trying to get that unit to attack that one. At the time I didn't own that, but now I do. 
but I have a plan, a cunning plan, Kana, uh -huh. to start um, doing a little bit of convoying action, almost like a um, circumnavigation. Yeah, it's kind of like a bit of a Lepanto, really, you know what I mean? Like, this is Syria, and over here is like, I don't know, Apulia. Yeah. And just kind of, or maybe even Tunis and just setting up the, setting the, the long convoy. Yeah, the convoy line behind enemy lines. Okay, yeah. alright. If that doesn't work, then that one's open, and then oh, that doesn't work, then that one's no, open. Uh, there's no real fleets to stop you, is there? No, because this is, it's not built anywhere. You can only build in supply centres. And all the players that actually have been on the ocean have been eliminated, except oh. for me. Okay, so you got run of the seas. I do. I, mean, I, I have 100% control of the seas. <laughs> oh, nice. So, um, that's going interesting. And then there's a... World War 4 or whatever it is. Yeah, it is World War 4 game. So, meant to be a... Didn't you... Weren't you meant to be joining this game or you didn't? No, I didn't. No. Okay, so, meant to be a 35-player game. Same situation. This is, um, is pre-Sea Lanes version, isn't it? Yes, pre-Sea Lanes, that's right. Um, who... Oh, yep, yep, yep. Okay. So, problem with this, again, 35-player game, probably about... 25 of those players CD from the beginning, yep. got down to about 10 players, and now subsequently, I say about four game years in, yep. those 10 players have now, about three or four of them are fucked off as well. So now it's down on about six or seven players. So it's like, okay, if you imagine, okay, so take the scenario, nuclear radiation has destroyed random selection of the population. Yes. <laughs> we are the ones to rule the world. Yeah, so they're standing yeah. neutral, so you still yeah, can't yeah. just kind of just waltz on in there. you still got to dislodge them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it means that, you know... they okay. radiated enemies. But, so um, you've got a situation where everyone who's playing the game is, and is, um... <laughs> they're just going around just gobbling up. And, like, you literally every turn when you get to your builds, oh, you've got all these dead. massive excess builds because you keep blowing out and moving out. <laughs> but you can only build three at a time. Well, that in itself makes an interesting kind of... It's game. an earlier... It's, a, it's an easy... It's an interesting restriction on, on your yeah. gameplay. And like, so, uh, anonymous again, blah, 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 blah. So I'm this player here. Yeah, yeah. So I own all of this bit here. And now I've kind of made landfall over there. So I'm setting up convoys again. Love my convoys. Nice, yeah. And I've just been doing some builds to be able to do some convoying up here. So it's essentially at this stage, is who could be the fastest locust? Yeah. yeah. Grab as much as you can. At the moment, my I've got a, another player who's near me. We seem to be getting one. Hopefully, that'll continue because he's been focusing around going out that way. Yeah. But the other players that are actually can, still playing is this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No one down here. I think this guy's fucked off. This one's still playing and growing rapidly that way and that way. Um, he's playing. He's playing. Yep. I think someone else is playing too, but I can't remember. Let's probably go back here. Hey, I've got to go to the tour. So uh, we're back. Uh, you've, you've ordered the horses. Yes. Feeling better? Cheers. Yeah, definitely. My eyeballs are starting to swim in it. 
even want. It. Oh. <laughs> Leave a little puddle for everyone. Like, you know, building up, building up, building up. Oh. The point where your eyeballs are swimming in. You had, and you had to crack the seal. And had to crack the seal. Have the, uh, have a FFP. Hey, freewheeling piss, yeah. Huh? Freewheeling piss. Anyway. No. No? First fatal piss. Ah, uh, the first fatal piss. Once you crack the seal. Crack the seal. It just, it just constantly it. happens. It just... Back to the wood, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, look, hey, from the point of view, guys... Make sure you jump on to Patreon because we're going to keep on drinking and keep on talking about stuff. Yep. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll leave you at this point. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks to uh, Jamie Langer for um, agreeing to sit down and interview with us. Um, the link to his book is in um, the show notes. So yep. if you're interested in uh, checking it out, it's not too expensive on Amazon. And oh. you know, speaking from experience, I mean, it's readable on Kindle. So, yep. Um, yep, Patreon, Twitter, all Discord, all that, all that shit. Uh, so... And I think this was belatedly episode 98. So oh, two yeah. episodes until we hit our 100. Well, we've got one more and then the 100. Yeah, well, it's getting close. So uh, any ideas, let us know what you're, what you're thinking of. We've got some ideas, but we might we might talk to our Patreon listeners about that. So they might get a bit of a sneak preview. Sounds like a plan. All right, guys. I'm Gainer. I'm Ambie. Cheers. Cheers, guys.